Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Gerald Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. Uh, In just a minute, I'm going to talk to you about leadership killers. I really think this is a must lesson for leaders. It doesn't matter how you lead, where you lead. It's a must lesson for leaders. But before I do that, I want to talk to you about uh, some upcoming events. On uh, April 27th, I'm going to be in Rancho Cucamonga, and I'm going to be doing a uh, roundtable. And a great friend of mine, Diego Mesa and Adam Mesa's, they're just such uh, great friends of mine, and we will be at their church. And I just want to encourage you, you're around the California area. You need to come. You need to be a part. You need to buy in. This will be very, very helpful to you. And then on May 9th in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, we will be there, and it will be a great event. We've talked to you in previous podcasts what we're talking about, so I'm not going to revisit that. I also want to remind you that in October, we do our pastor's conference. Now, the thing about our pastor's conference is full registrations are totally full, but you can get partial registrations. And I think anybody who was in the room last year uh, walked away and said, being in that room was just so dynamic. And I want to encourage you that uh, you can sign up for partial registrations. You can sign up for the uh, roundtables by going to my website, GeraldBrooksMinistries.com. I also want to say to you that if you're not following me on Twitter, you can do that. Uh, You can just basically go to Gerald Brooks Twitter and you know the uh, nature of that beast. And every day I'm putting out a thought on leadership. And really these thoughts, if you collect them, will formulate uh, a leadership outline. So I want to encourage you, if you're not following me on Twitter, just jump on board there. Well, today I want to talk to you about leadership killers, leadership killers. Now, I need to be totally transparent with you. I get to interact with a whole lot of leaders. I get to interact with a whole lot of different kinds of leaders, uh, many of the leaders I interact would be quote unquote spiritual leaders, uh, pastors, leaders within the church. But I also get to be involved with a lot of leaders that are secular leaders, that are leaders of businesses and corporations. And I have a front row seat. And I really think the seat that I sit in is unique. I don't think many people get to have it, where they get invited into rooms repeatedly. And those rooms that we get invited into uh, give us just an opportunity to watch and to learn. And so I want to talk to you after having been in a lot of rooms about some leadership killers. The first killer is this, drama. Drama is a leadership killer. Now, let me talk to you a little bit and explain it. This world has become drama-driven, especially after the invention of reality TV. Because here's the basis of reality TV. The more drama I create, the more successful my show. But here's the problem. That works on TV, but it does not work in life and it for sure does not work in leadership. But what happens is 
people get consumed with drama. I have a statement that I teach often, uh, don't add drama to a trauma. There's enough trauma in life that you don't need any drama. But drama is the death of a leader. Now, here's how it kills leaders. Drama becomes the identity of too many people. See, some people, their whole life is built around drama moments. Their whole engagement is built around these drama moments. And and the more drama, the more important they feel they are. The more drama, the more successful they feel they are. The more drama, the uh, more consequential they feel they are. And here's the thing. You cannot base your identity on drama. And the thing about people who really do get consumed with the drama, here's their thought. If you don't join the drama club with them, they're going to vote you off their island. So if you're not willing to have the drama that they have, if you're not willing to be involved in the drama they have, if you're not willing to get engaged in the drama that they have, then they are going to look at you and say, you're not important. And the thing about it is, in every leadership circle, there are people who want to create drama. And as a leader, you have to cut through it. You have to be a non-participant when it comes to drama. You have to back away and say, I am not going to do that. See, if you chase drama, it will drive you out of the will of God. That's just the truth. If you chase drama, it will drive you out of the will of God. And what it does is this. Drama causes you to waste your emotions. See, you have emotions that are a part of your leadership capacity. Emotions are connections that allow you to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. But that verse doesn't say have drama with those who have drama. It says if someone's weeping, get in and weep with them. If if someone's having the greatest moment of their life, go help them with that moment in life. But it doesn't say participate in their drama. And what the Bible tells us is this. We have limited amount of emotions every day. And if we waste them on drama, it will take us places we shouldn't go. And it will keep us there longer than any of us should stay. So if you chase drama, you get out of the will of God. It is a waste of your emotions, but it's also a waste of energy. Drama is no different than having a bucket of gas. Here you have a gallon of gas. You put it in a vehicle, it can drive you probably 30 miles. You put it in a lawnmower, it can last you probably a couple of weeks. If you put it in some other kind of machinery, it can create power and resource. But if you just light a match to it, it creates a moment of excitement But that moment is going to be quickly gone. And see, that's what drama does. It is a waste of emotion, but it's a waste of energy. And then it's a waste of time. And so as a leader, you have to say no to drama. Now, that doesn't mean you don't want to help people. It just means you're not going to get involved in their drama. If drama is what they're after, 
And that is what their identity is based on. You have to quietly avoid that. You have to quickly be able to say, hey, that's not me. I'm not going there. I have too many things I need to do that are important to do, and I'm not going to let someone who's inviting me to the drama club to really, really uh, consume my time and attention. Now, here's the thing about drama. Uh, Drama is usually loud, and the thing that drama people have learned is the louder they are, the more attention they get. And so they're very, very loud. In fact, when they're just talking to you, uh, they talk at a higher decibel. And see, that's a part of their drama. They don't even talk at a normal tone. They don't even converse at a normal level. They're always uh, a few decibels above everybody. And the reason they're there is loud gets them attention. And that's what drama is. Drama is an attention getter. But here's the thing. It's not only that drama people are loud, but they won't let go. So if there is an issue that has any validity, their drama will not let them let go. And so because they can't let go, the drama just keeps going on and on and on. And so even if you were to have a moment with them, drama is more important to them than any conclusion. So I want to go back because this is too common right now. It kills you and it kills leadership when you give in to drama moments. This world has become drama driven. And because of that, it kills leadership. I remember quoting a few uh, podcasts ago about 200 generals and admirals. And these generals and admirals had been asked to tell some researchers what their best leadership book was that they had read. Then these researchers took all these books and they read them and they looked for common qualities And here was the first quality they found. Now, these are admirals, generals, giving their top leadership books that they've read. A research company is reading these books and saying, what are the takeaways that these admirals and generals walked away with? And the number one thing is calm. Be calm in crisis. Be calm in crisis. As I've said many times, calm is contagious. You have the ability to calm down a room. But see, a drama person isn't going to like that because that doesn't feed their heart. It doesn't give them fuel. And their identity is based on the drama. If they're not in a drama moment, they will back away and say, hey, this can't be real. So if you're invited to the drama club, don't go. Because it's going to waste your emotions, it's going to waste your energy, and it's going to waste your time. Here's a historical illustration. Abraham Lincoln, when he was an attorney, there was a very, very wealthy man who had done a minor deal with a individual who was a very poor man. Now, 
this very, very wealthy man um, was really disgruntled when this poor man wasn't able to pay him on time. So he went to Lincoln and he said, I want you to sue him. I want you to sue him. And Lincoln said, how much does he owe you? He said, $5. And Lincoln looked at this guy. He says, $5 is nothing to you. And it's everything to this man. He said, it's the principle of the thing. It's $5. So Lincoln said, well, if that's what you want. So he went to the uh, poor guy and he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to charge the wealthy man $10. I'm going to give you $5 and you go pay the wealthy man. And I'm going to get the other $5 for orchestrating this. Lincoln went on to say, he said, in life, never take a $5 problem and turn it into a $10 issue. See, the wealthy man got what he want. The poor man ended up paying him. Lincoln ended up getting the $5. The only person who lost was the guy who wanted to make a scene. And that happens all the time. See, technology allows us to create more drama. It's unfortunate that many people feed on this. It's just the extent of how they just build up their drama. So we have all these platforms like Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and all these various forms, but they just allow us to create more drama. Just to create more drama. So here's the deal. Don't go to the drama club. Don't let people around you go to the drama club. Don't let drama become the center of the leadership circle that you're in. If you do, it'll cause you problems. Now, someone will say, but aren't there drama moments? Yeah, we all create it. You create drama moments. People around you create drama moments. I create drama moments. Other people around us create drama moments. But here's the thing that's different between someone who has a drama moment and someone who lives for drama is you put the drama on a clock. So here's the rule around my organization. If something happens and it happens poorly and someone didn't do what you thought they should do and you lose it and maybe your emotions get the best of you, here's our rule. You have 15 minutes. You have 15 minutes of drama and then you stop. So all of my team knows that if I get frustrated over everything or anything, here's what we, they know. Give me 15 minutes and it's all going to be back to normal. We're just going to be back to normal after 15 minutes. Why? We put drama on the clock. We do not let drama drive us. We control the drama. And the Bible talks about this. But it uses the word anger. And it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It says, you have to put a clock on things or some things will keep going way beyond. So the number one thing that I'm finding right now is that leaders who allow drama will kill their leadership. Leadership circles that are based on drama they end up killing 
their organization. Drama will kill you. Number two, talking rather than praying. Talking rather than praying. See, we have a premise in our society right now, and that is we need to talk everything out. We need to just sit down and we've got to talk everything out. We've got to talk everything out until everyone just feels good. But here's what I've learned. If you talk about everything, you won't have time to do anything. If you talk about everything, you won't have time to do anything. And that is a great premise of I've got to talk everything out. But let me be honest with you. If I talk to you more than I talk to God, I'm in trouble. And you're going to be in trouble. But that's what happens. People think, well, I just talk, and if we just talk and talk and talk, everything's going to be remedied. Here's what I've learned. I'm better if I pray. Here's what I know. You're better if you pray. And if I'm spending all my time talking to you instead of talking to God, I'm not going to be any better. See, here's the guarantee. If you talk to others more than you talk to God, you're going to create problems. That's the guarantee. In fact, the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 6. It says, in a multitude of words, you don't lack for problems. You don't lack for sin. And that's the thing. The more your words go up, the more sin goes up. And there are times when I've had to do what Jesus does, and I just go aside and I say, hey, I've been talking to people more than I've been talking to God. And I can't let that equation continue. Because if I talk to people more than I'm talking to God, then what's going to happen is this. I'm going to find myself saying things I shouldn't say, which will cause me to do things I shouldn't do, which will cause results I shouldn't have. So here's the thing. You've got to gear yourself that in a society that says, well, talk everything out, that you're always talking more to God than anyone else. I was recently at a place, and the older I get, really the less I talk. And a part of that is, is that prayer is so much a part of my life. But every time I was non-talkative, I was being asked this question, well, are you all right? And I was just thinking to myself, here's an environment that if you're not talking all the time, they think you're wrong. But the truth of the matter is, is that the Bible creates a value on less verbal content, as we talked about in Proverbs. In a multitude of words, you want not for sin. But see, there's another place where it says that you're to cover sin with silence. There's sometimes that when someone does something, You don't make it a big deal by having to talk everything out. You just cover it with silence. You know this wasn't their best moment. But you know them and you know that that's not really them. And you can make a big deal about it or you can cover it with silence. 
Another place is it says to study to be quiet. I love that concept because in Thessalonians, when it says study to be quiet, it shows that being quiet isn't a natural instinct. It is something that people have to study. But then the Bible says a meek and quiet spirit is of great value. Have you ever wondered why Peter would say that a meek and quiet spirit is of great value? It's because you don't learn anything when you're talking. You just don't learn anything. And here's the thing. I watch organizations be paralyzed because every little thing that happens has to become a big talk out session. And I watch them as their growth is stunted because they're too busy talking about everything to do anything. We have an example in the Old Testament where Nehemiah was asked to come down and talk to some people. And he responded by saying, the work is too great. I'm not going to stop. And see, sometimes what we're doing is too important. Now, I'm talking about talking about everything. I've had the privilege to be married for 45 years, and there aren't many people who can say they've been married for 45 years to the same girl. And I can tell you that there are times when Jenny and I have very extended conversations. But at the other time, Jenny and I are smart enough to know that sometimes I say something, sometimes she says something, sometimes I do something, sometimes she does something, and we could sit and we could make a big deal of that, but everything would be a big deal and it would ruin our marriage because marriages can't have days where everything's a big deal. But here's what Jenny and I know. We love each other. We're committed to each other. We'll fight for each other. And in the midst of fighting for each other, we'll do what's necessary. I can tell you, if you want darkness in your life, there's been a couple of times ladies have tried to say things about me. Jenny is my defender. And that girl doesn't talk much. But if you come after me, she will articulate things in a clear way. So what am I saying? Yeah, there are times when you have a conversation. But when someone has to have a big conversation about everything, they're probably talking about everything and not talking to God. My best moments are when I talk to God. Your best moments are when you talk to God. And it's only when you're talking to God that you can do something meaningful. So it kills you when you're talking rather than praying. I love prayer. I love the throne room. I love being in prayer in the throne room. And if you're going to lead, you're going to have to have the Selah moments where you just pause or you're quiet. I know in Isaiah 30, it says quietness will be our strength. I love that. Most people think verbal jousting is our strength. That's not true. Being still and being quiet before the Lord, that's where you draw your strength. Number three, processes without purpose. Processes 
without purpose. Here's what I know. Corporately and spiritually, people are engaged in profit processes more than they ever have been. They are just consumed with processes. Now, that being said, I believe that everyone needs a playbook. I believe that everyone needs to have processes, but your processes have to have a purpose. See, you can't love your systems more than you love your purpose. And here's where you find an organization killing itself and its leadership. When this becomes the phrase, that's not how we do it. The interesting thing in the Bible is if you study it, there were more individual cases of Jesus healing people of blindness than any other single disease. Now, we don't know. He may have healed everything at the same level, but what we're given, where people came to him, blind Bartimaeus, whoever, we are given this glimpse. But when it was an individual case, it was more issues of blindness than anything else. But the interesting thing is he didn't do it the same way any of those individual times. And the thing I want to say to you is create systems, but do not let your systems get in the way of God. Don't let them get in the way. Sometimes God's not interested in our systems. He's just going to be God. He's going to mess up our systems. And as I tell people, we get the intro of how God moves in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And it says that there was chaos upon the earth and the Spirit of God moved. There was darkness. There was chaos upon the earth. Please understand, processes make us feel like we're in control. But God's in control whether we're in control or not. And you need to understand that even when things are chaotic, God can still move. And so maybe something happens and it blows up your system. If it blows up your system and it's God, get out of the way. Let God be God. But when you say, hey, this isn't how we do it, you've cut off Jesus healing someone of blindness. Because if you say that we always have to make mud and put it on their eyes, Jesus didn't do that. And as much as that may be your system, your system is not necessarily God's system. So when we do something and we're so pronounced in doing it that we don't let God do what he wants to do, that gets us in trouble. The fourth thing, managing around a person. Managing around a person. I remember a dear friend of mine, Dan Ryland. He was an individual that would go in and do consults for uh, organizations. And he said in every organization he went into, there was always one person that everyone in the organization knew was the problem. That when you talk to everybody individually, nobody else was in the room, 
and you say, who is the one person who's the most helpful and who is the one person who is the most harmful when it comes to getting things done? He said, in every organization, individually, there was unison. And he walked out of those meetings and he would talk to the key leader and he'd say, everybody says that this person is hindering. And he would look at the leader and say, why is it that you don't do something about this if everybody knows it? And he said, without fail, the leader would say, well, we've just learned to manage around them. We need them for this reason, and we just have learned to manage around them. When the whole team has to ignore one person, that's a problem. And so you're not managing around a person, you're managing around a problem. And Dan would come back and he would make this statement, I knew if that leader didn't step up and confront the problem, that that organization would be limited in its leadership. Now, again, I have a front row seat. I get to see things that others do not see. I interact with 7,500 Christian leaders every year. And that grows about 200 a year because of the roundtables and the leadership events that I do. But here's the thing. And all of those, there's times when everyone's just all seeing the same thing. But an organization is paralyzed. What kills leadership? When drama goes unchecked. What kills leadership? When we talk rather than pray. What kills leadership? When we love our processes more than the purpose. What kills leadership? When we manage around a person. Now, can organizations succeed to levels? Yes. But the amount of energy that they will use up that could have been used on creating fruitfulness is pretty obvious that they're using it up anytime they let any of these four things happen. I just want to say to you that leadership is valuable and your leadership is valuable. We need you as a leader, but we need you to be an effective leader. So maybe you need to sit down with your iPad, your computer, in my case, a yellow pad, And you need to talk through, what is it? What is it that could be silently killing my leadership? That being said, I want to remind you that on um, April 27th, I'll be in Rancho Cucamonga in California. You really don't want to miss this opportunity. Great church we'll be at. Great friends there. Come and join us. May 9th in Raleigh. Come and join us there. I want to remind you that NTLC, you want to be in the room, and that room is powerful. You want to get your young staff in the room. The younger your staff, the more important is they're in the room, and that is in October, and you can sign up for partial registrations. All of these are at GeraldBrooksMinistries.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to GeraldBrooksMinistries.com.